0: Welcome to The Mortgage Voice with Jeff Barton, your voice in the mortgage industry. Each week on this program, Jeff and his guests share their expertise, personal anecdotes, and the latest industry news to keep you in the loop. Now, to provide you with insight and help you navigate the consistently changing world of real estate lending, here is your host for The Mortgage Voice, Jeff Barton.
1: Welcome back, everybody. I'm Jeff Barton, your voice in the mortgage industry. Thanks very much for listening to the show. On each and every week, we come to you on five different stations, three different states. We're on ten different podcasts. We're on YouTube. We're on i. Uh, we're at Podclips.io. A lot of different places that you can catch what we do, what we try to do. As everyone knows, who listens to the show is bring information to you about mortgages, about real estate, about what's happening in the mortgage market. Uh, like a lot of other markets, it does change from time to time. The base of what we do is to look at rates we always look at rates as the basis by which you're going to compare shop because everybody understands okay if I get this rate this is what I have to pay on a monthly basis the questions of how we get to that rate or or when we get to that rate and what determines that that's the thing that's interesting and constantly changes and we try to direct it to sites like uh you oh, know housing wire is a good one uh Anything in uh, best-rate capital, that's a good one. What's another one that we use all the time? Um, mortgage. What is it, mortgage solution? I forget exactly what it is. But regardless, if you do go out there and search for rates, what they are today, <clears throat> remember that the main thing that you're looking for to determine that is what the 10-year bond is doing. Now, what is the 10-year bond? Government sells debt. Everyone knows it. And if people are buying debt, that's going to drive the price down. If people aren't buying debt, that's going to drive the price up. Now, in all of these debts, there's a coupon, something that pays out on an annual basis, and that's what people are buying. So today, for instance, let me me just uh, look at what we have for today. So the 10-year bond today is at 1.529. Now, that particular number is what the yearly amount that you get on a percentage basis for the amount of bonds that you buy now you usually can only buy them in hundred bond income increments usually it's only investors usually it's in such huge huge quantities as you can imagine and if you ever look at any of these government websites or go to any mm, you know uh, Charles Schwab or uh, TD waterhouse or um, just trying to think of some of the other ones that you can just go and see what the 10-year is trading at, what it's selling for. The auctions come up every month. There's several auctions, right? There's the 30-year auction, the two-year, the, the one month, the one year, and certainly the 10-year. The 10-year sells uh, in, you know, billion-dollar in- increments to large investors. So at those numbers, if you're talking about basis points of 15 to 20 basis points, which is really... Nothing when it comes to your loan rate, but in these terms, it is a huge number. It's it's an investment, and we were, at the beginning of the pandemic, when the pandemic hit about a year ago, a uh, over, little over a year ago, we, we were trading this particular debt at a half a point. Now, why? Why was it trading at a half a point? Meaning that if you bought one of these bonds, or hundreds of them, or millions of them, you only got 50 basis points for each bond. Uh, on a yearly basis, which is really nothing. It was trading that way because when stuff happens worldwide, bad stuff, and there has been many bad stuff, have been many bad st- things that have happened, everybody runs to the United States. And when they run to the United States, they want to buy the U.S. debt. Why? Because they never default, and it's a good investment, and it's a good place to store your money when you're not sure what's happening in your own area, your own country, or whatever. So the price dove down to, you know, we were trading at uh, half a point for a few months. Well, now it's it's ticked up almost a point since that time. And you say, well, why has it done that? Why? Because we have to attract better buyers, more buyers to buy the U.S. debt. And that U.S. debt being at 1.529 is why in a normal market, the rates would go up, the rates that you're going to pay on your mortgage interest. And that is the most important part to you is the consumer who listens to the show. So, yes, go to the site, see see what you can see out there. But understand the underlying reason your rate is what it is today is because that ten year is trading where it's trading. Now, I'm going to throw throw a little curveball in there. We're we're in an artificial market because the uh, the Fed, which is the outfit that controls much of the monetary policy in the United States, not all of it, some of it, most of it, they are buying treasuries, U.S. treasuries, which again is debt, and mortgage-backed securities, which of course is bolstering the market for those securities being sold either to Fannie or Freddie or on the independent market, or Ginny if it's an FHA loan. And these things, being as they are, it's not a normal market because when the Fed steps in is buying $80 billion of treasuries a month and $40 billion of mortgage-backed securities a month, that really tilts the scales um, and we don't have a true market. So, for instance, we may not have a yield uh, where it is at 1.529 today if, in fact, the Fed wasn't buying bonds and they weren't buying treasuries the question of what happens when they stop doing that is called taper and when the taper happens now we went through this several times during the last time the world fell apart in two thousand eight when the banking world fell apart mortgage-backed securities fell apart mortgages themselves fell apart the agencies that rated them the bond market all of it fell apart and in those days um, that that led us into what we have today what we have today is an artificial market playing sort of by the rules of the 10-year treasury. The tapering is going to happen, and it and it's going to happen hmm, probably towards the end of the year. And we're going to see rates rise again, and we're going to see uh, the Fed stop buying. Now, they've said that they're not going to do that until 2022. I doubt it. The reason is is that the economy becoming overheated will cause inflation, so you got to cool the economy down. The only way to do that is to stop supporting the capital markets, and those are the treasuries and the mortgage-backed securities in this case, which will directly affect the mortgage interest rate, which should cool off the housing market. Now, I want to get into this in a couple other sections, but just suffice it to say that the housing market it's got problems, and it's got problems mainly because there aren't enough houses for people who want to buy houses. There's a problem in the labor market, and everybody knows what the problem is, right? Terrible jobs that people don't want, nobody wants to fill them, so therefore there's (laughs) nine million jobs out there that nobody wants to do, yet there's still eight and a half million people out of work. It's something that can't be sustained, but at the same time, how do you solve an issue that can't be solved with just forcing people back to work? Aren't you just forcing them back into the, the, the same old, same old? We want to lift up people who are in a situation that they're unemployed so that they can go out there and invest in the country, i.e., I want to buy a house, and that's why we talk about rates, because the rates that you pay today The money that you make in order to pay the mortgage tomorrow has got to be available to everybody, right? If it's not available to everybody, then what kind of economy do we have? We have the have, have nots, this, you know, and I'm not saying this as a political statement. I'm saying that the more people get involved in purchasing and owning a home, the more people get involved in protecting the neighborhoods, making the schools better, all the things that you really want to have happen. Uh, a friend of mine took a tour down to Venice Beach, California. Now I don't know if anybody's ever been to Venice Beach, California before. It used to be, and you've probably seen the pictures, right? Back in the heyday in the '60s, kind of a hippie zone. A lot of a lot of things happening then. There, skateboarders, artists, uh, you know, a lot of just things happening, right? It was it was kind of an up and fun place. Well, now it is a uh, encampment for about, I don't know, a couple thousand homeless people. Now, it's it's dangerous for the neighborhood. It's not safe for the people that live there. It's unsanitary for obvious reasons. So how do you solve these problems of this type of mass homelessness, houselessness, as we called it last week, and I think that's more accurate, I think home is a, a term we like to use in certain circles to feel good, right? But really, when you have a ho- a roof over your head and you're able to, you know, take a shower and sleep in safety, that's a good thing, and that's a house. And so a lot of these people who can't afford a house probably would if they could work. A lot of these people would work if the job was such that they could afford housing, if they could afford a lot of things. But it's just not that way. So how do we solve that problem? Ugh. Well, we'll solve it next section. How about that? Next segment. <laughs> exactly. I'm Jeff Barton, your voice in the mortgage industry, and uh, we'll be right back.
0: You're listening to The Mortgage Voice with Jeff Barton. We'll be right back with more in just a moment. For more information on today's topic, email Jeff Barton at info at malibufunding.net. Now, back to The Mortgage Voice with your host, Jeff Barton.
1: Welcome back, everybody. Thanks very much for tuning in, listening to what we have today, which is a, a great show. We talked... Briefly about some of the issues going on in housing and why rates are rates and, and what we can do about trying to solve some of the major problems which uh, you know in my estimation it always comes down to a couple basic things right you need a place to live you need a, a job that you can go to and feel good about every day not only getting the money that you need to, to live and afford a home or a mortgage or a rent. You also have to feel good about what you're doing so that you have motivation to get up every day and go and continue to do that. They did a survey recently about how how uh, happy you were with your job, and it's supr- not surprising, right? People in certain age groups have different ways they look at work. People who are boomers, okay, boomer, anybody out there who's who's listening and who hears that phrase, okay, boomer, and they know exactly what I'm talking about, because the boomers tend to, tend to lecture. Uh, I know that... Uh, those friends of mine who look at younger generations and wag their finger only reminds me of how that was done to me many, many years ago. So uh, I do understand it. But the boomer generation is most satisfied working, obviously, right? They're, they're vested in their jobs. They've been doing it a long time. And they have been you know at the top of the, the uh, economic food chain, so to speak. They're making as much as they've ever made, probably, And, um, yeah, so they're the happiest. And the the most unhappy of people, right, my kids. Now, I had kids late. I didn't have kids until I was in my 40s. So I'm now 66. My oldest is 26, okay. Is he happy? Yeah, he's relatively happy. He's got a job. He's he's, um, working in the gaming industry, and not the Vegas gaming industry, the um, video game industry, or whatever they call, uh, you know, where you play on your computer, you play on your phone, you play, you know, on your consoles, and anything that you need from Xbox to Wii to you know hundreds, hundreds of other things and labels. But he loves his job, and he's relatively happy as a result of it. And has been saving for a house. So he's got a plan. He's But if you talk to anybody coming out of college, I know a lot of friends uh, and their children are coming out of college. My own two children, I have one still in college and one who got out of college a couple of years ago. They're not happy. And they're not happy because they look around at the world and how expensive it is. And they say, there's no chance that I'm going to be able to get out there, get a job, afford something that uh, I can purchase, because all three of them live in cities, Portland, Seattle, and in Boston, Massachusetts. It's expensive in all these places. Uh, I live in a city. Uh, I think a great deal of the population lives in cities. So last night, we were watching uh, NBC News, and we rarely watch Any of the network news, and by the way, when we grew up, that's all there was. Three stations, three networks. Then you got Walter Cronkite or uh, Huntley Brinkley or Peter Jennings. That was it. That's all you got. Nowadays, your, your news is, depending on your political slant, you can get it from anywhere at any time of the day. But listening to Lester Holt, 630 at night, he talked about housing. And he talked about why housing is the way it is and and what some of the solutions are. Now, on this program, we talked about solutions in the housing world and what can be done about it. I often talk about at the local level, which all housing is local. It's like politics. All politics is local. All housing is local. So the town you live in, the city, the little area in the county, the state, all of these entities Boils down to a neighborhood of people and what they want and don't want. So the show with Lester Holt, and he wasn't doing; he was just the, the uh, whoever the uh, news guy was. But the but the um, the news story was about zoning. Now we talked about zoning on the show, meaning that <clears throat> if you have a group, an area. It's zoned for a certain thing, single-family residence. This is what they talked about, single-family residences. It's probably not conducive to, you know, high-density population, i.e., a building where you could put six or seven units on the same, you know, footing as that you would a single-family residence. Now, that's zoning, and that's handled locally in every little city and town across America. The push to some areas and they had a mayor from Maine and they had some another spokesman from another smaller city and they talked about you know the different perspectives as to whether this was a good idea or not personally i hate high density housing i think it i think it's good in certain ways but i would much prefer to see smaller homes on smaller lots now again that is high density in in a in a in a sense, but 10,000 square foot lots, 5,000 square foot lots, these are both city type lots, subdivided, you could put two properties on for one. That is a way to handle it if you change the zoning. And I'm not a huge proponent in changing the zoning rather than giving a special use permit, which means that you could do it this one time, but it's not a panacea for the entire neighborhood. All of these really boring things that we talk about when it comes to zoning and high density and where to put people is really about changing the game when it comes to, look, if you've got a homeless, houseless population and you've got people who who are getting out of school who are discouraged about living because they know they can't afford to buy something and you've got a population who are work, not working jobs because why do you want to go back and work for a job that you're stuck in if you're making less than 15 but even 15 bucks an hour is only 30 grand a year wait what are you gonna buy for 30 grand a year nothing because you got to get taxes out of that so you're really only making 25 24 so all of this has in its true core of what we're talking about the need of people to have hope about trying to invest themselves in the United States of America, which is owning a home. That's the American dream, isn't it? It always was. Two cars in the garage, own a home. You know, I saw the pictures from the 50s. I'm sure everybody else did, too. I didn't grow up in the 50s, although maybe you think I did. It's possible I did, and I just forgot about it. Uh, so these things that I, I bring up as possibilities of solutions my personal feeling is you got to subdivide lots and build smaller houses. You got to look at city land, country land, county land as assets by which they either can be leased to people and have houses put on it and you can put these houses up pretty cheaply even if the county and the city and the state and the federal government had to jump in and subsidize. By the way, if you did that, you could find people and you could give them services rather than send out, you know, armed officers to situations, in many respects, most of these people who are now either homeless or wanting a home or in situations that are very difficult for them to find a place, if they had a place and they had services by which the county, state, local government could help them with, whether it's in uh, the the local religious organizations that are in a town, there's all kinds of uh, um, non-profit organizations in most places to be able to help, whether it's with food or whether it's medical, whether it's with uh, uh, mental health services. All of these things are things that I think can be part of the solution to end a lot of this nonsense, because so much of it is about what I have and what you can't have. The biggest argument to doing any of this, of course, is property values, and you'll hear it over and over again. Heard it the other day again. I don't want to do this because it's going to drag down the cost of my home. Um, I think it's a possibility. But I also think that if you were to lift up the neighborhood through uh, the generosity and the spirit of the, of the group and the people to try to help those around them, that also is something said about the neighborhood itself. And I think some places uh, would benefit from that from a financial standpoint. But, you know, I live in a beach town where you can't get to the beach from the street. <laughs> and they've been trying to bust those you know, uh, right-of-ways open for 100 years, and they still can't do it. There was a gal about six, maybe it was a year ago. She lived on the beach and finally had lost the last, uh, the last lawsuit and had been going on for 10 years to open the right-of-way right beside her home. It's, it's just, and she stood out there and was, you know, applauding the decision. Like, for some reason, she was all for it. You know, it's just, sometimes when I think about how things are done and the resistance to doing something that makes sense, I, I don't get it. Anyway, I'm Jeff Barton, your voice in the mortgage industry. Thanks very much for tuning in and listening, and
0: we'll be right back. You're listening to The Mortgage Voice with Jeff Barton. We'll be right back with more in just a moment. For more information on today's topic... Email Jeff Barton at info at MalibuFunding.net. Now, back to the Mortgage Voice with your host, Jeff Barton.
1: Welcome back, everybody. I'm Jeff Barton, your voice in the mortgage industry. Thanks very much for tuning into the show once again. Really appreciate it. Um, You know what? We're on a bunch of different stations. We're in Southern California, a couple stations in San Bernardino and Riverside counties. We're down in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I want to say hi to all my friends down there as well as up in the Tahoe region and of California and uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, our reach is broad, and we're even bigger on podcasting. We're on 10 different podcasts as well as YouTube. Daryl, do you have a list of those podcasts for us? I sure do, Jeff. We've got Apple Podcasts, Google Music Play, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, iHeartMedia,
2: Radio.com, YouTube, and, of course, PodClips.io.
1: PodClips.io is a new podcast for us, so go there, and you can see not only you know, our great financial information that you're going to have to have if you want to do a mortgage or if you want to get into real estate this summer, But you're also going to have lifestyle and uh, some other human interest stuff. It's pretty good. Uh, We're also on YouTube. Uh, We shoot this for video, so if you want to see my face, that'd be great. Go to YouTube, Jeff Barton, The Mortgage Voice. Okay, enough of the commercial out of the way. Uh, We bring to the show lots of times great people, and this today is no exception. Chris has been a broker for a number of years and manages a lot of great people as well. Chris Gross from Gross Capital. He's the CEO there. Chris, how are you? Good. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you very much. I wanted to ask you just quickly where the market is, how you doing down there in business-wise. Is it slowing up? Is it picking up? What's happening?
2: Well, as far as the purchase market, it's hotter than ever right now. I mean, the market right now, I think the average purchase price in San Diego County is about $800,000, which is dramatically increased from last year by 30%, which is unheard of. Um, But as far as purchase market, you know, anything under about a million, million and a half, you're getting, you know, offers over like 10 10 and over from that standpoint. So it's definitely a very competitive market. So we're always looking for the niches to uh, fill our realtors' needs to get their offers accepted as fast as possible, of course.
1: Hey, do you see it handling, I mean, um, the uh, uh, purchase market overtaking the refi market, or is it still mostly refis down there?
2: Um, our we focus a lot on purchase in in I our uh, in our market or industry we always have um, the refi's has been slowing a little bit just because a lot of people took that took advantage of that earlier on in the year. Right. Um, we knew the market was going to kind of increase interest rates a little bit through the summer during the purchase market which we've kind of seen a, a slight increase um, in that process. So you know we always try to focus on purchase business to have the relationships that keep us keep us afloat for the long term. But uh, but uh, you know I think it's still a good time to refinance for people low rates again you know especially the next decade so haven't done it they should definitely take
1: advantage now listen the uh, okay let's talk purchase market it's very competitive as you well know and down in san diego as well as most of the country california specifically southern california it's you know you're getting three four five six offers per property what are you doing to try to give your particular buyers a leg up on the uh, process to secure the home in contract
2: yeah, so a couple things we do, you know, obviously you have to have lenders on a platform that are going to perform in a quick market. So we have, At Groves, we have over 160 different lenders at this point, 160, so we do everything from good conventional to a lot of non-QM solutions. We're connecting to non-traditional for
0: your bidding statements, um, your hard-money solutions, but bridge loans are becoming another very popular thing in this industry, or sorry, in this current
2: environment, because a lot of people want to sell their house to buy their next house, but people don't want to accept contingent offers. So originally, I'm, I'm starting to use the everyday product to give people solutions, so it gets them to their new house without selling their old house, and then, then we get them a look that property it's, it's secured within their other properties. Still. So that's another way to do it. Um, and then just having more of a niche lender that can perform in 14 to 21 days average, which is what most people are looking for right now.
1: Hey, Chris, do me a favor. If you're on a speaker or you're on some Bluetooth, we're getting a bit of interference. If you could just you know, uh, put it on a handset or something you can hold in your hand, just because the information you have is awesome. Uh, The knowledge, obviously, particularly in the San Diego market, is deep. You've been doing it a long time down there. Where do you think the real estate market is heading? Do you see, as I read, uh, that there's going to be an increase in housing just because there's other things to do now?
2: No, I mean the way we see the market in you know San Diego. Obviously, we do lending in close to twenty states, but San Diego, I do real estate as well. So I'm you know pretty well versed as far as the market here. I I see prices not really slowing down for quite some time at this point. We're seeing a big influx of uh, buyers from San Francisco specifically wow. um, coming down here because a lot of the tech markets are moving down to the San Diego area, and uh, you know it's it's like a half off sale down here in San Diego compared to San Francisco, yep. and you know <laughs> so that's. We're seeing a big influx, and we're not really seeing markets slowing down. because construction has uh, increased the cost of what it costs to build a house by about thirty yep. percent. And you know, it, it's hard to keep up with supply and demand. So the laws of supply and demand say there's not supply, there's still a huge demand. So I don't see you know things drop off any soon unless we get a big influx and people start building things a lot faster with with having employees uh, employees working on their projects.
1: The interest rate. Uh, we we know the interest rate is eventually going to go up. Do you see it going up this summer? or Is it pretty much going to wait till two thousand twenty two? And when I say go up, I mean by you know half a point to a point.
2: I think it's going to go up a little bit more this summer. I mean we're we're in June already, so I think it might, it'll go up a little bit towards you know towards toward the end of summer here and probably till November December. And I think next year it might it might ease off a little bit, allow further fuel that bought houses this summer to uh, to get a lower interest rate and refinance. Um, after you know six to nine months. So I, I see that as far as projections going on, and I feel that's probably what's going to happen in the marketplace at this point.
1: The non-QM market, you mentioned it a little bit as one part of your portfolio. How much of your business are you doing in the non-QM? And explain a couple of the programs for people who are not really familiar with what that is and how that really aids your clients in either a refi or a purchase. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so the, the non-QM market, is just going to say, it, it's not traditional lending. So traditional lending is your, you know, where you go to the banks, right, your retail lending platforms, your your normal A&B paper stuff. The non-QM market really means, you know, it's for lenders that run businesses or 1099 entities. They need bank payment programs. They need hard money. They're, they're the programs that most people will go to a bank and they will get denied. And then going to the non-QM solution, give them a solution to buy a property or refinance a property or fix and flip a property right. that most retail lenders will not touch because of their strict guidelines. So non-QM is going to have a lot looser guidelines. They're still going to have guidelines, but the parameters are different from lender to lender. So for us, I've always focused on the niches in my personal business and in my company business, because niches stand out. People remember the people like to pull rabbit out of a hat, and we tend to try to do that here at <laughs> Growth Capital.
1: No, I, I like the analogy, too, and I think in a lot of ways that is exactly what happens. Do you see the FICO scores on your conventional any different than the FICO scores on the non-QM stuff? Are, are they reasonably the same, or, or what are you looking at?
2: They're pretty close, I would say. I mean, I'm about a half-point difference, you know, typically, okay. because obviously it's, it's not... You know, grade A it means everyone's going to buy it. You know, when you go to the non-QM, it's, it's whose investors are going to buy, buy off at the secondary market. So it's obviously going to be a little bit higher in interest rate. But once again, you're giving solutions to people that would not have a solution. So there's always a cost to do business to facilitate that. And the bottom line is they get a property and they get a solution. Um, and, and then we have an opportunity for more business and to take care of our clients.
1: Yeah, I, I like that. Uh, the answer is finding a problem solving a problem usually gets the people who you're solving that problem for really happy and they and they and they understand that they have to probably pay a little bit more for that. Is that kind of the philosophy of it?
2: Exactly, exactly. You know, it it's it's gonna give them a solution when most people would have said no and, you know, most people are, are game for that and, you know, if they need to fix their credit and, you know, get in more of a traditional lending then we help them and insist them to do that so we can, you know, refinance that product within six to nine months and, you know, get a better rate from them if that's possible at that time there's always solutions but there's always you know what you're dealing with at the point of you know in the market if they're wanting to buy now we have a solution for it and then we'll help switch it at as, as the market changes
1: hey chris we're up against it almost can you shout out a phone number and let people know how they can get in, in touch with uh, just a terrific person as well as a great uh, loan officer real estate agent down in your area
2: Yes. My, uh, good number for me. I'll, I'll give you a personal line. It's uh, 619-519-4453. Once again, 619-519-4453. Um, like I said, we specialize 160 different lenders, platforms for pretty much anyone. We never really turn away business. If we can't do it, no one can. Groves Capital.
1: Excellent. Thank you very much, Chris. Thanks for coming on the show once again. I really appreciate the update and also you know, just talking with you again. Thank you very much.
2: Thanks for having me, guys. Have a
1: great day. And you, too. That's Chris Groves of Groves Capital, the CEO, Chris. And I'm Jeff Barton, your voice in the mortgage industry. We'll be right back.
0: You're listening to The Mortgage Voice with Jeff Barton. We'll be right back with more in just a moment. For more information on today's topic, email Jeff Barton at info at Now, back to The Mortgage Voice with your host, Jeff Barton.
1: Welcome back, everybody. I'm Jeff Barton, your voice in the mortgage industry. Thanks very much for tuning in to the show this week and every week. We're on these fine stations, number of them outside of California, where we do record the show. We're down in Albuquerque, New Mexico at KMIN. Is that correct? K-Mine Country. K-Mine Country. Love those people. and love the. Uh, we have a couple of great people, loan officer and uh, real estate agents down there who give us updates on a monthly basis. Really appreciate that. Up in um, Tahoe, you know, we need a Tahoe... We need a Tahoe person. I I never, other than yourself, Daryl, we don't...
2: I I have a few in mind.
1: Great, excellent, perfect. Uh, We're also in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, We don't have our Las Vegas people on, but they're always on. uh, Usually once, twice a month we get them on. We get people from Georgia and Florida and... um, You know, uh, by the way, Malibu Funding, who's the sponsor of this show, is now in Colorado, another state to add to the list of the 13 that they do business in. So they have a perspective, and they hire me to do this show in order to tell you what the perspective is, but also bring you really good people on the show to talk about the business. Another one of these great people is George Gonzalez, who works for Malibu Funding, and he joins us now from the Inland Empire. George, how are you?
3: Hey, I'm doing excellent, Jeff. Thanks for asking, man. How about
1: yourself? I'm doing great. All right, let's get right to it. What's happening in the marketplace there? Uh, Is it more of a uh, refi market still, or is it purchase market?
3: Well, you know, uh, it's hard to tell. All I know is, you know, both are are on fire right now because the interest rates are still hanging around the the high twos, low threes on average, uh, which is excellent for everybody right now. Still the refi, if you have the chance. Um, you know, but buying right now is also on fire because I believe, you know, everybody working from home, yeah. the family, they're saying, Hey, you guys better get out of your house now. You know, we're, we're too crowded here, So everybody's out there searching and looking and, you know, they're, they're fighting for properties right now. still.
1: Now the people that work in your office, people work for you. Are you letting them work from home or are you insisting that they come to the office?
3: Well, during the last pandemic, right now, I'm letting them, I'm having them come to the office processing and stuff, show up about two times, maybe three times a week. But uh, prior to that, while the pandemic was going on over the last year and a half or so, they've been working from home.
1: Now, do you think that that's typical of small businesses? You own a small business, I own a small business. Do you think a lot of the employers of those small businesses let their employees kind of decide for themselves, or are they mostly wanting them back in the office? I'm trying to get a handle on what's happening out there, and it's hard to really understand it.
3: Well, here's what I'm seeing. Well, as far as the the W-2 or the hourly employee, that's where I'm seeing the struggle where, you know, apparently apparently we're having the highest, unemployment rate, but every corner I turn, everywhere I turn, every store, every every restaurant, every thing you think about, now hiring, help, 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 and it's like, what I don't know what's going on, so yeah, apparently, you know, they're just, they're, um, Worked, they're getting paid more off of unemployment, I think, than they are on
1: these jobs, is what it seems like. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I also think that even 300 bucks extra a week from the federal government is peanuts. I mean, can you live on 30 grand a year? I don't think so. Neither can I. No. So, um, no, no, no. whatever the employment situation was prior to the pandemic, those people that were working those jobs are just saying, why? Well, I, uh, well, I don't want to go back to that job. So until there's a necessity to do so, i.e., the payments run out, or better pay and better jobs are out there, I don't know if it's so much training. But uh, typically, when you're looking at purchase clients and you're trying to get them into a property, what are you doing? What are you aiding them with in order to give them a leg up on the competition?
3: Well, let me give you an example. Um, I have one uh, buyer who called me yesterday and said, "Hey, George, we got an offer accepted." Oh, great, you did. Yeah, we had to we had to offer uh, twenty five thousand over asking no I mm. said no but hey that's what they had to do that's what right. was, that's one you know we got off accepted and so we'll see and you know I don't know if you want to jump to that subject the appraisal headache subject
1: I know let's do that with. no no' talk about appraisals go ahead I mean it, it's it's okay. a real issue
3: well the appraisals have been that's the one that's been giving everybody a headache and you know they're coming back with you know they're the kings of the of the of the world right now you know yeah we'll get back to you when we get back to you. And so, you know, yep. coming values are coming short. They're cutting our values. They're incomplete appraisals. There's been a lot, a lot of messy uh, appraisals going on. And by the time we contact them, and you know, obviously you and I know this the most, we're we're the bad guys when it comes to that because yep. we, they're doing the loan and we have to order the appraisal. So, right. you know, we're in the middle of it. And I'm telling everybody, all the buyers and all the people out there, don't panic it's across the board the appraisers you know it's across yep. the board AMC's well so we
1: in uh, Arizona George we did a couple of loans in the last 6 months we just couldn't do because the the appraisers we couldn't get an appraiser to go out to the property it was in a bit of a rural area and they just said nah I don't want to go out there and it's or, you they know
3: bid it for it. they say okay let's bid for it yeah right
1: let's bid for it right uh, you yeah, like
3: right. $500 appraisal turned into 1500 bucks like well right. right
1: no 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 i know it's it, and it's one of those situations whereby you're not really allowed to talk to the appraiser so how are you supposed to bump up what you want even if you wanted to pay him more i mean it's a very tricky yeah. situation especially with arms length and because the property values are changing so rapidly you know getting accurate appraisals is tough enough I mean, you know.
3: very, very tough, man. Yeah. Very tough. And, and again, like I tell everybody, hey, we're just, we're just, we're in the middle here. We're trying to do the best we can, right? And you know, you know, with the experience we have, well, I tell everybody just take deep breaths, and it'll be all right. You know what I mean? It'll yep. be all right. A, yeah, that yeah, you you hit it on the nose, Jeff. The appraisals is, is one of the biggest issues right now.
1: Okay, so uh, we've got appraisals, we've got, uh, you know, enhanced down payments, right? If someone's going to bid $25,000 over asking, they've got to come in with more money. Is that one of the issues that you're dealing with as well?
3: They have to come, not only do they have to come out of that on top of their down payment and their closing and their prepaids, that extra twenty five is an extra on top of right. all the others. On top of that, we have to prove where it came from. Yep. So now, again, we might need more paperwork, or we have to pull more money out of the 401K, or we have to ask Uncle Bob for another <laughs> loan. Or, I mean, another loan. We can't get a loan. No, a another gift. gift. It's a gift. Another gift <laughs> right. You know, so it's like, come on, man. It's like, all right, well, that's what you got to do. If you want that, if your Uncle Bob wants you to get the house, they're going to have to give the money to you. So, right.
1: Yeah, it's it's a struggle, and then you're competing against you know uh, many many other borrowers, many other buyers who are trying to do the same thing to get into that house, and, and right. And this, uh, do you see uh, uh, any kind of solution, uh, either more properties or less buyers in the near near term?
3: Well, I'm noticing out here in the Indian empire. I'm over here in the Ontario Ranch Cucamonga upland area um the two ten freeway, fifteen freeway ish area. Yep. They're they're starting to build more homes, more newer homes, more construction. I see it's going up at a rapid pace, um, all in this area. So I'm hoping as soon as they, you know, release some more inventory, bring out some more inventory, that we're gonna have um, you know, some like get some of these buyers offers accepted that I have. You know, and that's right. that's what we're trying. That's what we're at at the at the price that the house is worth instead of having to, you know, fight for it.
1: Well, that's the other thing, too. You go into a new development, a lot of those new properties, they, they appraise right away. Or the, the development itself, they don't really care whether they appraise or not. This is the price, pay it or don't pay it. But they do bring in-house financing. How do you compete with that? Well,
3: the thing about that is, is number one, that being a broker, obviously you know we have the best pricing, yep. uh, better than retail pricing, Um Number two, we're direct lending where we don't have a third party. We have to go through and share your rate with everybody. So you know that's the only way I tell people is like, listen, you know, you just give me a chance. Let me let me just compare uh, neck to neck, and then at worst case scenario, where I had where they dropped to match what I had. Yeah, it's not good for me. Yeah, I don't get to do the loan. Well, well, but guess what? my buyer still got the best deal that they were supposed
1: to get. Yeah, and, and that's, so that's what right. Happened. No, I like that attitude, and that is really the kind of the way to build a reputation if you're looking at client first. And that's always the way to go, always always looking at the way to save money for them or get them into the property that they want to get. George, I appreciate you coming on. You want to give people a chance to get in touch with you. How do they do that?
3: They call me directly at my uh, area code 909-900-9565. I'm out in the Rancho Cucamonga Inland Empire area, 909-900-9565.
1: George, thanks very much once again coming on Saving the Show. Good job. Thank you.
3: It was my pleasure, Jeff.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you, too. I'm Jeff Barton, your voice in the mortgage industry. That was George Gonzalez from Malibu Funding, and we'll be right back.
0: You're listening to The Mortgage Voice with Jeff Barton. We'll be right back with more in just a moment. For more information on today's topic, email Jeff Barton at info at Now, back to The Mortgage Voice with your host, Jeff Barton.
1: Welcome back, everybody. I'm Jeff Barton, your voice in the mortgage industry. Thanks very much for tuning into the show, for listening each and every week. Jeff Barton, by the way, you can reach me in many, many different ways. We have a Twitter account. We have, uh, it's bartonblog.com. We have at jeff six four nine three. Let's see, where else? Uh, Malibu Funding website. I've never, well, I haven't said that in a while. Uh, 79620, that's the MLS number. And malibufunding.net is the uh, website. Also, you can reach me at the mortgagevoice.com. And uh, what else do we have? Do we have other things, Daryl? <laughs> I've completely forgotten everything that we used to do all the time in every intro. YouTube. Oh, yes, YouTube. Jeff Barton, the Mortgage Voice on YouTube. You can go there and see what we're doing. We're trying to up our profile a little bit, and me stumbling out of the gate there doesn't really help. However, uh, we, we are on a number of different podcasts. Darrell, you have the list of those for us, please. I, I do, Jeff. It's uh,
2: Apple Podcasts, Google Music Play, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, iHeartMedia, Radio.com, YouTube, and PodClips.io. There's uh, five new shows going up, going up there this week.
1: Oh, Excellent. Podclips.io, okay, that's a new Podclips, uh, I guess it's more like a channel, right? You go there and there's all kinds of topics, and and you've been to most of these dashboards that will say lifestyle and health and and uh, finance and uh, real estate and all kinds of different things. We're under the finance section. You can see us as well as other people who have great opinions and stories and certainly great shows. We've divided the show into four or five different segments. The so ten minutes each should be easy enough for you to not only look up what you want to, but also hear in shorter segments. That's what we're trying to do to, in order to uh, up our profile uh, for this for the show that we've been doing now almost, I don't know, <laughs> eight years, something like that.
2: Well, you were doing it before you got here, but we've been doing it for uh, six.
1: Six years? Okay, so that's that's a number of different shows, almost 300 shows, pretty close, right? Yeah, excellent. All right, so uh, let's get right to it. Some of the job openings uh, that are out there, we talked earlier in the show, and George Gonzalez brought it up recently in the interview that we had with him. Yes, if you look at any of the major um, news outlets, and they all talk about it, but in different ways, there are... Nine and a half million job openings in the U.S. Okay? What are these jobs? Where are they? What do they pay? But there are nine and a half million jobs opened in the U.S. And currently the unemployment rate is about, what is it, five, five, six, I don't know. I forget the percentage. But the number of people out of work are about eight and a half million people. So doing the math, you're thinking, oh, we could solve this problem. Just everybody goes back to work. Well, it's complex. It's not easy, it's not solvable. So incentivizing people to go back to work is usually in a negative sense. I've always argued for the opposite. If you want someone to work, you have to pay them, train them, and get them to want to do what you are trying to get them to do. There are many states who have stopped taking the federal three hundred dollars extra a week per their unemployed person and that, you know, is incentivization enough. Obviously, if you make more money going to work than you do from your unemployment checks. But I've always rejected the argument that it's either or, uh, rather than, no, we need to look at work the way work will be, not the way work is. McDonald's came out yesterday showing how their robotics and how their automation is going to eliminate a lot of these jobs near-term, short-term, long-term, medium-term, at some point, the person who takes your order will not be a person. Uh, The people who are making your food will not be people. And that is a typical example of how the way we look at employment today is going to be changed in the future. Therefore, why would a person want to go back to work for a company, a place, knowing that the job will be eliminated? Um, yes, you get short-term gain, i.e. you get money in your pocket and you're able to pay your rent and, and p- put gas in the car. But does it incentivize you to work in general? Normally, no. Now, are these uneducated people? That's another whole story, right? What is education? What does college do? I don't know if anybody saw John Oliver's show the other Sunday. I don't know if anybody even watches it. What I do, and he talked a lot about colleges, college education. Bill Maher talked about it on his show. Uh, There are a lot of other outlets that talk about it, the cost of higher education, and what exactly are you learning. I've always been a proponent that if you get out of high school, this is like what they do in a lot of – uh, European countries, you go to general school till you're about, I don't know, 16, 17 years old, and if you pass examinations, you go on to, uh, higher education, but if you don't, you've got a skill, whatever that skill is that they taught you in the school. Now, how many, uh, you know, plumbers and electricians and carpenters and you name the trade that's out there right now that is needed all across the U.S. in order to build housing that we need for, yes, many people need housing. The housing is too expensive, and we need people to build those houses in a in a cost-effective and timely fa- uh, manner. And how exactly are those people getting trained and who's training them? And, and wouldn't it be better if we had more people skilled to do those sort of jobs? Um, I seem to think there would be. And I think that the cost of education being what it is, rather than canceling student debt, is making colleges uh, who who provide these educations responsible for the lack of uh, employment in those degrees that they so readily peddle. Um, I have three children myself. We talked about it earlier in the show. All three have degrees from college, or my daughter will soon have. Uh, And they all went to uh, reasonably good schools. The question of my particular education many, many years ago, graduating in in 1977, I didn't really graduate because I was a a college athlete who dropped out. Let's just put it like that. Um, However, in those days, going for an economics degree, it, it meant something. You could get a job. But today, if you get out of college with just a general economics degree, what kind of job will you be getting? Uh, if you get out of college with a liberal arts degree, what kind of job will you be getting? Do you have to get into further education in order to, you know, get something where you can earn a living and, and pay for a mortgage? I mean, that's the, that's the American dream. It's not necessarily, you know, you get everything for free, but it is something that you should be able to educate yourself and afford your family. Now, How much? what's a family nowadays? We talked about it on last week's show. Even in China, they are starting to open up the ability of families to have more than one child. Now, for two generations, 50 years at least, the Chinese have not allowed um, their families to have more than one child. Well, that has changed. Why? Because the population, uh, whatever diagram that is that shows what future populations will be, show that not only not only the United States and Europe, but many countries in South and Central America, as well as the Far East, China being principal among them, India too. Both of these, all of these areas are going to lose population. And what does that say about how economies grow and what we're to expect from long-term sustainability of present forms of government? It all depends on more, more, more. Well, if you've got less people to do that, it's going to be very difficult to Drive your uh, more and more economies, your capitalist economies, which I happen to think is a great way to incentivize people. If you're in competition with somebody else in order to get either a job or or some product sold, but if you don't have the correct education, if you don't have the the, the uh, I don't know the monetary uh, will to be able to invest in that, meaning that hey, look, if I'm going to go into debt two three hundred thousand dollars and come out with a degree in uh, uh, whatever it is. Let's say let's say it's sociology or anthropology, both good areas of study. I don't put any of those down, but what kind of job are you going to get? You are competing against people who have uh, either high-profile computer skills, very good uh, um, programming skills, both of these jobs, plentiful in the U.S., and they are better than flipping burgers at McDonald's or uh, retail jobs. Um, so how do we train our workforce to be able to get uh, into a area without driving them into debt with very little time before the next crisis happens because in the world that we're living now, it seems we go from crisis to crisis to crisis. Um, yeah, the, these are the things that I think we can do, we can accomplish, and I think it's important to get that part of the education puzzle uh, really fixed. Uh, and the education puzzle meaning what degree, for how much, and when are we going to be able to, you know, get people into jobs that will afford them a lifestyle and um, a way by which they can afford a house. Because I'm out of business if you can't buy a house. Let's face it. This is all, (laughs) I'm just kidding, but it's all about trying to get people to, you know, invest in America by buying a house, getting a mortgage, getting a family. And uh, those things all are pretty basic to what we try to do in the U.S. Anyway, I'm Jeff Barton, your voice in the mortgage industry. Really appreciate you listening to the show today. Hope to hear you next week. Hope to see you next week. And uh, we'll be back again next week.
0: You're listening to The Mortgage Voice with Jeff Barton. For more on today's topic, visit www.malibufunding.net.